All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, and uh, I guess before I get rolling, if uh, just a reminder, if you aren't aware, you can support Tundra Talk on Patreon. Um, it sounds kind of kind of cheesy and a little sleazy, but uh, but running a podcast does cost money. Um, I would like to be able to do more, so definitely appreciate your support, and uh, and definitely thanks to the all the, the people who are already supporting um it does help i mean even you know a dollar five bucks a month um it really adds up and makes a difference so if you if you think tundra talks valuable to you um and you're in a spot where you can you can help support it man that'd be awesome and and i certainly thank you so enough of that this uh probably be a little it'll be a little bit different episode um if it even makes the air um the first time i'm i'm attempting or just going to do a run at, at one by myself and that's for a couple reasons i was just out sheep hunting this past week over the opener and uh everyone else is still kind of scattered throughout the hills but i definitely i wanted to to sit here and give a just kind of a recap and, and all the all the stuff that happened as well as some you know a few little bit of serious big boy talk um so there's a few things that I'm a little fired up about, but uh, yes, yeah, so we'll see how this goes. And if it's just so horrible <laughs> listening to me talk by myself, um, feel you're more than welcome to just shut it off and pick pick it back up on the next one. So uh, I I did a hike in trip this year, and uh, obviously with my recurve, um, I went in on the eighth and had a general area I was wanting to get to and check out, and it was quite a ways back. Um, so just as usual, saddle up and start marching in. And, uh, this is that evening, the first evening hiking in, I was running ridge lines and passed through a basin and looked, <laughs> looked down the hill. I'm like, shit, there's five rams right there. And, uh, sat down and they were only four or 500 yards away. And, you know, if you've looked at a lot of them, you can pull up the binos and when they're, you know, I mean, when they're that close, you can kind of get a feel for man these are like these aren't little dinkers you know they're there's some some fairly mature rams and sitting there bedded then i feel the wind in my face looking down at them and they haven't seen me yet um so i mean i can just barely kind of see them over a little defilade so just sitting there wondering what the hell i should do i'm like should i, should I get my spot and scope out or you know how can you walk by rams without looking at them right so and luckily, they kind of made up my mind for me within, I don't know, 30 seconds or a minute. They jumped up and took off. They must have, wind must have swirled or something, and they caught my wind. This is the only thing I can think of. They never, they never, even afterwards, they never looked back at me. They were just looking down the hill, and I could never figure out what the heck they were looking at. But, uh, so I keep moseying along, and, yeah, they, I don't know, they blew out six or 700 yards. And finally, I just, well, I better better pop the scope up and take a look at them and i did and snapped some pictures of them through the spotting scope and i'm thinking yeah one of them's looking looking like he's for sure legal and uh you know i didn't bother aging or anything and it's you know on on aging them i think i've mentioned before on the podcast that man it's it's depending on sometimes some rams can be really tough at any range and light condition but yeah this one had fairly you know fairly has fairly pale horns and and decent growth rings so i'm thinking yeah like he's he's probably legal legal a couple different ways and uh so then the thought becomes well do i try do i abandon my plan and try to back up and find a spot to camp and just hopefully sit on these guys but these rams also move a fair bit too so anyway i ultimately decided just to keep plugging along they weren't really paying attention to me anymore and um you know, finally, finally ended up running out of gas and calling it a night. And it's obviously my own fault for not getting in a little bit better shape before I go. But that first, that first couple of days is always rough. I just remember sitting laying there in my tit, and you know, if you've ever had it to where your 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 quads start cramping up and locking your legs up, it's a little uncomfortable. But I uh, managed to get some water, and the next morning I was in pretty good position to use the next day to just kind of fully cover this area that I was in initially wanting to target and thought I would be able to find some rams in. 
So woke up and did that, and it was, I don't know, it's, it gets so disheartening sometimes, even though you have all the time in the world, you know, when you, when you expect to see them somewhere and they're not, you know, you're just, ah, they've got to be just over this ridge line. Gradually you start running out of country that they could be in. And even then it's not a lost cause because sometimes you'll sit down and they'll just pop out. But I spent, I spent the whole day pretty thoroughly covering that, that area. And it wasn't a big area. And, uh, Went back to the tent, kind of dejected, basically decided that that the next day I on opening day, I was going to just work back and try to relocate the rams I had seen before. Excuse me, I had to get a drink. But uh, anyway, uh, start, so the next day, get up and start working back. And uh, what, it was, so opening day, and it was, yeah, it was probably... 12:30 or so I was, was working back down the ridge line. I did find the rams, but they were up bedded for the afternoon in a spot that I had to go through some pretty nasty stuff, drop off the ridge line down the back side, which is always inevitably the nasty side of the hill, full of, you know, super steep loose rock that it seems like none of the rock is stable. You know, you can it's not it's not terribly unsafe to go across, but you've got to be careful and you're always wondering if this rock I step on, if that's the, the Dutch kid's thumb that's holding the holding the whole mountain up. <laughs> but uh anyway, lo, you know, long story short, managed to get around out of sight and uh pop my tent up in pretty much the only spot I could. It was out of the sight of those rams and I didn't think they would be moving around to a spot that they could see it. And it was just yeah, kind of limited the only, only real option for setting the tent and, you know, with a little bit of shelter. So, uh, set that up and start working back around. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't really that much to it. I was kind of working my way around the backside of the ridge and the Rams had got up and fed down and I'm crawling down over the ridge to just kind of get a peek at them. They're 300 yards below me. And all of a sudden they left the spot they were, they were hanging out in and took off running, chasing each other up the hill straight to me. So when they, they got it, they went behind a hillside, got out. I'm just, I'm on my butt with my bow sliding as fast as I can down the hill. And, you know, they start popping out again. So I stop and they're popping their, you know, a couple of the, the two smaller ones were sparring and, you know, and they keep working their way up the hill. And I, I picked up my range finder and the last time I ranged them was a hundred yards coming right to me. And I'm thinking, man, this first day, and I, I had an arrow knocked and I'm like, I'm, I'm actually might get a shot. And, uh, they, uh, they of course busted me, you know, saw me lay in there and yeah, they saw I wasn't moving when they saw me and they just, they're super sharp. They, you know, knew something was different and, uh, just kept working around the hillside. So as soon as they got out of sight, I back, back up to the top of the hill, grab the backpack, work back around this knob and end up going down right below my tent and got a hundred yards from them again, bedded down. But I mean, it was, it was tough. There's just no way I could get closer than that. Um, basically between me and them, they were down across the hill, hundred yards. And, but between me and them was a big rock field. Again, that big loose rock. It's not like it, it's not anything you can just like, you know, crawl your way through and ever not have a chance of not being seen. So I kind of just sat there and waited thinking, well, they've been moving this way. I'm in a good spot that if they get up and they might feed right underneath me. Well, I was there for an hour or so and then kept peeking and checking on them. I didn't ever want to stay in view of them where I could see them all the time. I would just check and check and check because if you're in view, eventually they will see you that close no matter what you're doing or wearing. Um, so eventually, you know, the one I could see the first when I popped my head over, he was gone. So I stood up and I could see him feeding back the other way and... Then I had to do kind of a kind of estimate estimate what was going to go on and what my chances were going to be. 
Um, I, I don't know, as soon as they started feeding back the other way, I thought, eh, I probably better pull out of here because if they had fed, if they had fed very far that way, they'd be kind of scooting around, around the hill to where I wouldn't be able to move without them busting me. I'd be stuck right there on the hillside. So, uh, I backed out and, uh, it was getting fairly late then backed out and just kind of chilled i just didn't didn't want to they'd already busted me once so i didn't want to push them and ended up eating dinner getting in my tent and uh was going to go check on them at like 10 30 in the evening unzip pop my head out and they're they're all bedded like 300 yards from my tent just right up up you know i'm at one end of this saddle and they're up on top of the other end sitting there bedded and so I guess uh, I guess I'm not going anywhere, and uh, took some pretty cool spot and scope pictures of them all just sitting there. They can obviously see the tent, but a lot of times that stuff doesn't bother them if they don't. If there's nothing moving around it for them to associate with danger, and they can just sit there and keep an eye on it. So anyway, I'm just kind of back to hope I can find them in the morning and went to sleep, and got up the next morning, which was the second day of season, and. You know, the, the quick initial look didn't turn anything up and, and you know, look a little harder, nothing, a little harder, nothing. Well, all right, so I packed up all my stuff for the day and I decided to work my way back around to where they had been bedded the previous afternoon. And it just so happened that, you know, caribou season is open and there was some, some bull caribou had been filtering through this saddle so i think ah well i'll go sit up in that saddle and just wait and see if those see if those rams materialize and uh doing that i still wasn't seeing anything and finally decided i'm like i had a couple a herd of you know with a little bull come through and then i'm thinking well if a big bull comes through here i probably better shoot him um i've never killed a caribou with my bow either so that would be a pretty cool first Anyways, I had an arrow knocked sitting there, and I finally decided, well, I better eat some for dinner. So I set my bow down, pick up, I think it was a honey stinger or something I was unwrapping, open it up, and look over, and there's a giant bull walking walking by me at 25 yards. And, of course, shit, you know, and dropped the, dropped the bar and grabbed my bow. And he and those caribou are so funny when you you spook them, especially up close. It's like they, they'll like a horse so re- you know, reared up on his hind legs and took off the other way which uh i mean seems like it's 50 50 sometimes they'll just sit there and stare at you and wonder what the heck you are when you, they just walk up on you like that but no such luck and it ended up being a good thing because i um i mean couldn't have been 20 30 minutes after that looking down i'm kind of sitting at the head of this basin and the you know the the drainage goes down to the right and wraps back around to the left that, you know, to where I can't see it and sitting there, sitting there. And I see a white spot pot, you know, kind of just popping out down on the way down on the hillside out, kind of just coming from around the bend of the drainage and I'm thinking, Oh, well, that looks like a sheep and pull up the binos. And yeah, sure enough, that's, that's, it's a ram and pop the spot and scope up. Yeah, that looks like one of those rams, but where are the other ones? So I watched him for 20 minutes as he's goofing around right there and just didn't see any of the other ones. And finally, he started moving. He wasn't running or nothing, but he's, you know, at a steady walk. They can cover country fast. So he's moving back towards me to get, you know, back in a position under me. And I stand up and look, and all three of the other ones are already right down below me. I don't know how I missed them or where they were at, and that's that's another thing that just blows my mind sometimes, how those things can just disappear and materialize, like, you know, it's like be gone like they were never there and then appear like they were there the whole time, and a lot of times they were there the whole time. So anyway, I see that, and... uh I don't know, that day there wasn't anything too crazy. I was able to get, it came up and bedded, and I was able to get to like 250 yards or so, but not much else really that day. Um, but they were always feeding in the same area in the base, and they liked to go through, you know, whether whichever side they were bedded on, they would always seem to feed down through that spot. And there was a little bit of terrain down there, so I was kind of keeping that in mind. But in my mind, the best, the best 
opportunity and what I was trying to do is get above them in their afternoon bed where they're stuck there for, you know, they're, they, they sit down there for two or three, four hours sometimes and are pretty much in the same spot to try and get down above them and, and every time just ran out of ground. And, uh, so, I mean, that was pretty much, pretty much it for that day. I made it back to the tent and, you know, bedded them down, you know, basically watched them till 11 o'clock at night till they were in their night bed and, uh, went to sleep and got up the next morning, found them right away and, and watched them. And after, you know, uh, previous episode talking to Jonah and a lot of the, you know, off the recording, some of the stuff he was talking about with sheep behavior and and not wanting to really put a move on them till they're in their afternoon bed so I, I i was sleeping in and taking my time and finally it was pretty late morning and they were still way up on the hill something and well maybe they're not going to feed down today maybe they're going to bed down up there and i knew i could get around unseen and get up above them and hopefully you know they'll they'll maybe feed over directly under me or something so you know, that, it, I don't know, it only took me an hour and a half. It's kind of a pain in the ass because, like I said, you know, you got to, you can't just run the ridge line and skyline yourself. I got to drop down on the nasty side out of sight and side hilling through all this loose rock and stuff. But eventually I made it up there and crawled up there and I start peeking down, peeking down, peeking down. And, and another thing, sheep hunting, you know, especially when you're coming over ridge lines, you want to open up country very slowly. Like what I'll do a lot of times, if, if I expect to see a ram at any moment, um, kind of revealed by popping my head over, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of be leaning back and take a step and then slowly with my binos lean forward and forward and forward and just scanning, scanning, scanning. And then if I don't see anything, lean back, take another step and start leaning forward. Um, basically you just don't want to skyline yourself anyway. Um, so I'm doing that, that little number and getting down over and I look over and I see, see a, the back of a ram's head over a rock and, you know, arranged it and it's 200 yards away. So I'm thinking, all right, they're still bedded right there. Plans, plans working, you know, we're, we got something to work with. I figure, all right, I'm going to be up here all day messing around with them. So I literally, you know, all right, range jam, get out of sight, go back to my backpack, grab a drink of water and a snack, walk back, and it's not even five minutes, and I see, you know, it's just lucky I looked, because straight down below me, all in the spot that they were liking to go to, I see three rams down there, and then look, look, and then I see the fourth, so I'm like, what, like, what the hell's going on here? Are there more sheep than I thought there was, and and looked back over there and that the one over there that I'd seen was gone. So apparently, you know, they just it was saw them right before they decided to pack up and go down the hill. And, uh, so now they're all down there and they, they feed out of that spot across back to under my tent again. So like, shit, man, I could have just stayed at my freaking tent all morning <laughs> and made a nice, easy stock down. But, uh, so I, I, as I'm kind of picking my way back around the top of this basin, I keep checking on them and cause a lot of times, you know, after their, you know, mid morning feed, they'll lay down for a little bit then get up and move again before they, they lay down for good. And they were pretty much sticking to the same spot, same spot. Well, I go around, you know, I, I get around to the spot and I'm thinking, all right, I'll be able to get over there and go right down and maybe it to have a chance of getting really close to them. So I go to check on them one more time and I see a single ram working back to my right. I'm working around this basin right to left. And I see this one going back to this, towards the spot that, uh, that they had just been feeding. And I see him go in there and I see him disappear in a little fold. And I'm like, what the heck, you know, where are the rest of them? Are they, are they up or is he just coming over there by himself or what? And these are like some of the mental games that are that are going on in my head. And I look again, and I see I think two or three backs at the same time. And then I'm pretty convinced that all four of those sheep are right there. And then they go out of sight again. And this when it got a little, I mean, I I was only 300 yards from them, and they all they all went out of sight. And I'm thinking, man, this if I can get if I can make it. 50 or 100 yards down the hill I'll be in really good shape for staying out of sight because the way that basin it's a nice you know kind of a gentle slope 
and then a series of shelves that are kind of obscuring those rams. So pretty much within about 20 seconds, I decided now's the time. You know, I ripped out. I got a little lightweight white synthetic hoodie, put that on, grab my bow, and just go running down the hill. And the closer I'm getting, it's all grass. It's quiet. I'm like, I can't believe this is working. I can't, I'm getting close, getting close. And right at the shelf, they, they drop under, you know, right the shelf that's obscuring them. So, you know, I get to the top of this shelf and it's like a drop and it levels off and they're right down on that next little level and, uh, slide down against right behind this little kind of pushed up, you know, mound and, I lean over to my left and I see see a sheep's back and range him and he's 65 yards and there it looks like they're working angling up the hill towards me and I look to the right of this mound and there's a little cut that I can see through that if man if they keep going they're going to pop out and they're going to be between 30 and or you no know, no the closest would have been anywhere from 20 to 50 yards which is right you know, right in my comfort zone. So I'm, I got an arrow knocked ready. I'm thinking, man, this is going to happen. And instead of just meandering up to the right, they want, you know, one of them is actually the one I wanted to shoot meandered out to the left and just got far enough where, where he, I think he was 70 yards or so where he could see, he caught my head, the top of my head over the top of that little hump. And of course stared me down for 10 or 15 seconds. And then you know, then another one sees me, they, they figure out something's wrong. Anyway, so they, they take off running and I'm thinking, well, probably, that's probably it. I mean, this is not the type of hunting, or at least in this spot where you just go find another ram once you've blown these ones out. I mean, this is the game. This is what we're working with. And if you screw it up, if you screw it up bad enough, you're done. <laughs> so... Anyway, I'm just kind of sitting there moping, thinking of how, how freaking close I was. I mean, right there, you know, when I ranged him, he was six, 65, and I don't know if, if he had, I don't know if he had been a little closer or gotten a little closer before he decided to meander out there, but um, I'm just kind of sitting there wondering what to do, and they, they run about 200 yards and stop and are looking at me, and I'm thinking, well, I got, I got a white shirt on, I might as well just act like a sheep, and can't hurt anything so i just slowly started crawling back up the hill working my way back up the hill you know i'd, I'd just slide my bow on the ground and then i'd as dumb as it sounded i'd, I'd act act like i was eating grass grazing and then i'd kind of casually swing my head back over to them and just keep grazing and grazing i mean it was probably 20 minutes of doing this and finally like i couldn't believe it they just started relaxing, started eating again and slowly fed just over a little knob where they were out of sight. I'm thinking, man, I can't believe that worked. And, uh, and you know, obviously thinking, man, this is perfect. I can get out of here without being seen. I had the thought like, man, should I just duck back in? There was a little bit of a washout. I'm thinking, man, I could duck back in and hide here and, and maybe they'll come back, back to here sometime today. And I don't know. And then I'm on the other hand, I'm like, well, you're stuck out here in the open and there's no way they're ever going to come back today after blowing them out at under a hundred yards. They didn't smell me, but I, uh, anyway, so I'm thinking, all right, well, you know, know when to hold them, know when to fold them, get, you know, get the hell back out of sight and try it again. So I got, I made it all the way back up to the top of the ridge you know, gathered myself, ran, got around, relocated them, and was starting another stock to work down on top of them. And I was, yeah, it was, it was around 200 yards, I want to say, maybe a little less that I was above them and they were bedded and I was kind of stuck. There wasn't really much I could do. Um, I mean, we're talking there, like, there's no, no brush, like no the only cover you're going to get is folds in the ground. And a lot of that ground, it's not like you could even belly crawl through cause it's all like noisy rocks and stuff like that. Um, at least unless you're a lot, lot sneakier than I am. So kind of sitting there and at this point it was probably two hours after they busted me and I'll be damned if those suckers didn't get up 
and walk right back to that spot that I blew him out of. I mean, <laughs> I just, just couldn't believe it. So, uh, um, anyway, you know, as they're, as they're making their way out there, I'm like, yeah, they're, you know, that's probably pretty much done for the, you know, this stock is done. So I back up and, and I, I've been pushing it pretty hard all day. So I didn't really have the, the gumption to, to go try a late night stock or anything like that. And also the wind, you know, the way the wind can get sometimes in the evening when the thermal changes, if they're in their night bed, you know, the biggest key, at least in my mind or what I'm seeing now is like, is just don't blow them out. You know, I've seen a couple times where I can get busted. And as long as I, you know, act cool, you know, so to speak that, that it wasn't really, wasn't really scaring them bad. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously anything could happen if I can blow them out at 60 yards out of a spot, you know, act cool, you know, act like some deformed sheep crawl, stumbling his way up the hill and uh, be gone, you know, be out of sight for an hour and have him come right back, then anything's possible. But uh, I had I had another four days of food, so I'm thinking, all right, you know, we'll just play it easy, just keep, you know, maybe in prod and poking and prod and eventually they're going to do something stupid so uh anyway so I get back and uh kind of just kept an eye on them that evening if they had obviously if they'd got into a really good spot i would have gone for it but they were just kind of doing their thing and uh and got up on the hill and yeah spent the evening just watching them and there was a herd of big caribou bulls down you know off the other side of the ridge watching them and and I knew the wind direction had changed. I knew it was supposed to get stormy that night, but uh, so I built a little. I built a little wind break, you know, around my tent. It wasn't the most ideal spot, but rarely, rarely is it. And uh, and I don't know, just kind of bedded those sheep down and went to bed. And then the wind woke me up at at about ten o'clock at night, ten thirty, and it was blowing pretty substantially now that that tent so msr hubba hubba and i've freaking spent a lot of nights in that tent used it for used that one for i think the last five years and had it in some pretty bad winds um you know if you're ta- that tent if you're taking a wind from the side um i've been able to you know a lot of times just pop a trek and pull up under the the horizontal you know roof pole and put it under the end of that and it keeps it from flexing you know supports it and and you know no big deal um to, to a couple times in like you know probably 50 mile an hour winds i've had it fold down on me if the wind's from the end of the tent um the way the poles are on that it's it's a three-way joint and that joint can kind of flip inside out sometimes so it's getting pretty freaking windy and you know i go out there and beef up my windbreak a little more make sure my guy lines are out and then you know so that and it's blowing front if i'm sitting up in my tent looking straight down the saddle you know one valley on my left one valley on my right and i'm, I'm even kind of off the backside, off the downwind side of that saddle in the most protected place i could find um the wind's coming right to left and then it starts doing swirling stuff where and it laid down the the foot end of my tent so I jump out, you know, and I think at this point it wasn't really raining much yet, but I jump out, you know, and support a, you know, guy out a trekking pole underneath that, that three-way support, which I've done a couple times too, and it's always worked fine. So I've got all my guy lines out, you know, a partial, you know, windbreak and trekking poles supporting that and get back in the tent and waiting and waiting and my, my trekking pole the uh, supporting the vert the the roof pole kept popping out of place just because that wind's shaking the fly sorry right, so i tie some guy line onto that jam a stake inside my rain fly throw a big rock on it to keep you know just to support that pole so it can't it can't bounce around and move and it was i don't know how long i mean you lose not really paying that close attention to the time but uh at that point it started you know, it was it was okay for a while. And I actually was like, man, should I just try to go to sleep? 
and I thought it was going to be okay. And man, it just started getting windier and windier. And I mean, I'm literally like having to hold parts of the tent up during some of these gusts. And then it swirls around and start and folded down the, the head side of the tent at that three-way joint. And I'm like, man, I ain't got no more freaking trekking poles. Um, like this is getting bad. And just the, with the hydraulics of those wind, that wind, I mean, with the way it's swirling around and still hitting the tent with enough force at odd directions, you know, that weren't the main direction that wind was blowing. I mean, it was, I was starting to get a little worried and, uh, thinking, man, should I just suit up in my rain gear, wait for this tent to blow up or, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, that's not going to happen, but you know, be prepared for it. And that it was about one thirty in the morning. I, I, a guy line broke. And so I put on my rain gear and I just had underwear on and a t-shirt or, you know, synthetic shirt on underwear, put the rain gear on, jumped out of the tent and, uh, with the headlamp and fixed that guy line. And what was I doing? Yeah, I was hauling, I was just desperately trying to haul more rocks over to break some of this wind. I mean, my windbreak wasn't all the way up to the top of the tent. But it was, you know, halfway up or so. It should have made a pretty significant difference for that wind that's just ripping right along that that ground level. And uh, anyway, I'm out in the middle of that, and all of a sudden, and it's raining hard at this point, just blowing it sideways. So it didn't take very long, and all of a sudden, it got dead calm for about three seconds. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not going to be good. <laughs> and uh, when that next gust hit, it was just just like snap, you know, I don't know how many, I say all the poles in my tent snapped. I mean, it was just wham, smash that tent flat on the ground. I'm just thinking, well, guess we're, guess we're walking out tonight. Um, fortunately I was only, you know, I figured it would take me several hours to walk back out to my four wheeler and then, you know, another few hours to ride out. Um, I figured that was going to be my best option because there just wasn't, anywhere there may have been able to find some rocks to hunker down in to kind of get out of the wind but it was blowing so freaking hard that and the way that stuff that those currents are swirling i mean it was it was bad it was as bad as i've ever seen so just kind of took a breath and crawled under my rain fly and got in the tent and it's like all right think about this you know stay calm there's no you know it's not a it's an emergency, but it's, you know, it's not a you're going to die in 30 seconds thing, you know, still kind of protected from the rain and, and whatnot. So I just start pat throwing shit in the backpack and eventually got everything but my tent in the backpack, loaded up, cinched her down, you know, put the boots on. So I went, I still had just, you know, underwear, synthetic shirt, because I knew I was going to be hiking all night minimum layers underneath everything that i had was still dried you know my sleeping bag i jammed in a dry sack and uh, my my puffy suit jammed that in the pack where i'd be able to get to it and uh just buttoned up the rain gear so it was you know light light layer underneath you know underwear and shirt rain gear over my boots and then gator you know i strapped my gaiters on over my rain gear and uh Jumped out, loaded up the pack, and it was, uh, it took me a couple hours to get out of, out of the really bad wind. I mean, I, I you know, everybody exaggerates, but this shit was the worst freaking wind I think I've ever been in. And I've hunted on the peninsula, hunted on Kodiak a lot, you know, and maybe I was inside during some storms that were that bad. But as far as sheep hunting, I've never seen anything like it. Um, it was a tough to, you know, I knew where I needed to go. I knew the right direction. I had my GPS and a Ziploc, you know, cause I would have to reference it to make sure I wasn't bailing off the wrong side of these ridge lines I was running in the dark. But, you know, so as I'm heading out, that wind's blowing left to right and it was blowing so hard that, you know, you get, you hear like your, your rain fly in your tent rattling in a stiff wind well my hood my rain gear hood was doing that it was doing that so loud i was like was wishing i had earplugs um 
you know, just blowing water. My, my had to keep my left eye closed because if I opened it up, it was literally filling up water and just running off. And, uh, it was a little sketchy. You know, there's a lot of spots on that ridge line. You can't, you know, it's just tough to pick the exact easiest route through. So I'm just kind of plowing through and, you know, you brace yourself for 15 seconds during a huge gust and then try and run and take a couple steps through some sketchy, you know, loose rock, you know, while it lets up and just pray it doesn't freaking hammer you again when you're, when you're off guard. Cause it was blown. I mean, I don't know how many times I'm going to end up saying this. It was blown so fucking hard. I'm walking. And if, you know, when it's blowing, if it, it would let up all of a sudden and, you know, you about fall off the hill the other way. So needless to say, it was pretty challenging. Well, after about, it was 45, between 45 minutes and an hour walking, I could feel water running down my left side and down my leg. And I'm like, this is not fucking good. Um, and at, you know, at about an hour, my left boot was completely full of water. So, uh, and in another, you know, another 30, 45 minutes, my right boot was completely full of water too. So, um, long story short, I just had complete, absolute rain gear saturation. I mean, it was blowing water through there like it didn't, like it wasn't even there. Um, fortunately, like I said, it was only, you know, I only had a few hours in it of, of hiking, steady hiking. I mean, I never sat down the entire way out. Um, it was just one of those situations that's right on the edge of, of a survival situation. You know, if you stop for very long, you're going to, you better be suiting up and finding a place to get out of the wind. Cause you're going to be getting super cold. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the last, you know, the first two and a half hours, I don't know how long I wasn't paying attention to my watch exactly. Um, took finally finally got out of the really bad wind and then it was just you know 30 mile an hour wind um blowing water but at that point it didn't make i mean i was i didn't have any clothes on to get soaked but i mean just water running down the whole way squeezing out my boots which <laughs> you know and it it was it was the rain if anybody's doubting it was the rain gear that failed you know sometimes after you use a set of boots for a season or two a lot of times that gore-tex will get wore out and and those boots can saturate, but this was like, feel it running down your legs, down your socks, and, and then filling up your boots till they're just absolutely like squishing water out of them. Um, I finally, you know, finally made it out to the wheeler and at like, so what I left, I left camp at like two, finally made it out to the wheeler at like seven o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous like that and got out there and then my next thing is i got a few hours to ride um luckily you know the thing that saved my ass was i had i had that you know kafaru lost parka and then the lost the kafaru puffy pants too and that stuff's about as heavy duty a synthetic puffy as it gets and uh so i just stripped down to my underwear put those on and put the rain gear on back back on over that and figured at least it'll you know give me some protection and and that synthetic stuff i've been through the ringer with that before and it will even absolutely sopping wet, it will still keep you warm. And I, you know, at that point it was just being uncomfortable. So made it out. And, uh, I guess the worst part of the whole thing that it, in my opinion, the thing I'm most pissed about <laughs> is, uh, I had stuck my cell phone and, you know, and it was an older little sea to summit dry bag, but I'd stuck my cell phone in that and in my, rain gear chest zipper pocket that's supposedly freaking waterproof and that was on the downwind side it was wasn't on the windy side when i got back to the four-wheeler and i'd had that in there in case i had to like type out an emergency you know in reach message to my dad or someone obviously like there ain't no one coming to freaking rescue when it's that bad but at least someone i could let someone know and unzip that pocket and that whole freaking pocket was was like a swimming pool in there like water just came pouring out of that pocket so my fucking phone's gone and uh the thing that, or i mean i you know that shit can be replaced but you know i took a lot of not a lot but some pretty cool pictures i thought when i was on that trip so you know as far as pictures and memories go it's like that it's like it never even happened 
But uh, anyway, I made it back, and after a couple days, you know, got all the shit dried out and ready to go, and I'm fixing to go back again, and uh, hopefully, you know, I got to, A, pick up, pick up my tent and the stuff I had to abandon up there, and uh, hopefully get back on those rams and, and maybe have a happy ending to the story. The whole way, the whole way I was walking out, I was just like, I'm... I was so freaking mad. I'm just like, I'm going to go home, get my rifle and come back and blast that son of a bitch. Cause I could have, I could have freaking, you know, thinking to myself, oh, I could have, sh- I could have shot him at least a dozen times, different times with my rifle. But I eventually, I got talked in, you know, talked to Nick on the phone. And I, I got talked down off the ledge. So I am just taking my bow back. And one, one thing that was really cool about it is, man, I got to have a lot of fun with them. Um, and it was a blast trying this different stuff and seeing what was going to pan out and just learning these sheep. Whereas if I was rifle hunting, I would have blasted him opening afternoon, you know, within three hours of finding him on opening day would have been done, would have been back home the next day, which there's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, I like blasting sheep as much as the next guy, but it was kind of a different perspective thing. I mean, give me a new perspective. Uh, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, rifle hunting them's freaking easy. Like, how does anybody ever come back without one with a rifle? And obviously, you know, hunting with a rifle is not easy either. But boy, I'm like, this stick bow thing is a whole different ball game. And as you know, you hear people say it, and it's absolutely true that, man, the hunt, at that point, the hunt starts where the whole ball game was, was already over, you know, it's like planning the stock, the final stock, whatever starts when the stock was completely over before. And, you know, you hear people say that and you know, it's true, but when you're actually sitting there experiencing it, um, you know, the thought crosses your, did cross my mind, but I wasn't sitting there, you know, wishing, ah, I wish I had a rifle. You know, he's not a big, he's not a big ram. He's a legal ram. And that's all I'm really after with my bow. That would be super special to me. And sitting here back at home thinking, you know, I could run in there and shoot him with a rifle, but that, that thought it would be satisfying and it would be more for revenge. But, uh, it doesn't get me really excited and still the thought of killing him with my bow gets me really excited. So, you know, win, lose or draw, I'm going to try it again and I'm not bringing a rifle with me. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. But anyway, I guess, uh, the last part of this, um, the thing, yeah, I don't know how to even approach this. Um, I am pretty freaking angry about this whole, rain gear deal you know the tent uh and i don't know you can shift blame wherever you want like yeah if my tent hadn't blown up i wouldn't have been stuck in that situation so and everything's a trade-off that you choose to the gear you choose to use but um and I'll, i mean i'll just say right now is it sick storm stormfront rain gear and the stuff was basically brand new it wasn't you know like this year's model i got it last year um used it for a day like a day on my sheep hunt last year you know not any kind of brush busting nothing and then you know got it dried out folded up put it away it's been in storage ever since you know if i'm gonna if i'm gonna use a set of rain gear for sheep hunting like it you know i take good care of it because if obviously there may be a situation when you really need it to save your life i guess you know whatever whatever i end up saying in this freaking rant um may want to hide your children's ears. Um, I guess I would want to point out that I'm, you know, the purpose of what I'm going to, my opinions I'm going to share and not so much just facts, what's happened. It's not to, I mean, I'm not looking like as a witch hunt. I'm not looking to bash anybody or even brand bash. Um, because although, you know, this is Sitka Stormfront stuff and it's supposedly like their very best shit. Um, and it failed epically. You know, I mean, like I said, within an, within an hour, it was like, it wasn't even there. Um, you know, although that, you know, this particular stuff was sick. I mean, it's, it, as far as breathable type rain gear or Gore-Tex, whatever, I mean, it's like right, right at the pretty top end. Um, but I don't care if it's Sitka, Kuyu, Cryptek, First Light, you know, like any breathable rain gear, like you are going to have some serious, like 
I've for years I've been on the freaking soapbox of, of you can't trust that shit. It just is not going to work when you really, really need it. Or, or if it fails, it's going to be when you really, really need it. Um, I've been a freaking big time. If you know, if you listen to the podcast or you, or you, you've, you know, read, read what I've written for outdoor life for years and years. I've always been like Heli Hansen, Impertech, you know, PVC or rubber ring gear, stuff that is actually waterproof. I've been a huge proponent of that. And, you know, not because it's more comfortable to hike around in, but because when you really fucking need it, it will be there to do the job. Um, and the most disappointing thing to me is that I was finally, and you know, you go back a few episodes you probably hear me saying, oh, you know, I think it actually will be okay. I think it'll work, you know. Well, if it's that bad, I'll get, you know, we'll be in the tent, not going to need it. Um, and, I mean, this was a pretty good fucking reality check for me. Um, anyway, so I get back and start talking to a few people. And I'm in a unique position. I did not pay for the stuff, um, which... You know, some people, you know, it, just, it almost pisses me off more that it failed because, you know, and I didn't have to pay for it. But I'm thinking, because, I mean, this shit is expensive. And that's always an issue I've had with some of this rain gear in particular. Some of the other gear, you know, that is super tough and really great. You know, all the companies make good stuff, different great items. Um, but the rain, this breathable bullshit rain gear in particular, they charge so much fucking money for it. Like... You know, this set of rain gear, 1200 bucks. That's like, you know, a week to two weeks pay for a lot of guys. You know, how can I, even assuming it's bulletproof, like I still was kind of choking on ever, and I would never tell anyone they need to have it, but uh, I still kind of choking on using it. It's like, I feel guilty. I mean, I, even, I got the stuff for free and, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities and companies letting me use stuff um, use and try out their gear. But I'm thinking like, man, what if I had spent my own money on this? Like what kind of, and I, and I'm just Joe blow, don't have any connections, nothing like this, you know, what's, so what, what's my options? So, you know, call customer service. And, and this, again, this is not to knock any, any, you know, this isn't to knock sick as customer service or any, any particular person I was talking to or anything like that. Cause a lot of it's not, you know, not their fault. Um, but you know, just, I wanted to see what the regular guy would, would be going through. And so call up customer service and say, this is what the deal is, you know, I'm, and I'm sure people call in with bullshit stuff, trying to get free replacement gear because of stupid stuff they did. But I'm thinking, all right, you know, so I explain, all right, you know, look, I've been, been sheep hunting for 16, 17 years in a row. I know what I'm doing. You know, this happened. And of course, you know, the, the person doesn't, you know, doesn't know, you know, they're, they're only told what they told, you know, they're obviously no, no, a fair bit about the gear, but you know, it's known what's, you know, okay, we have an issue with this. Well, pull, you pull up the spec sheet and this is what it's supposed to be able to do. And, you know, like I was told, well, that stuff's supposed to be like, you know, it's supposed to last you for weeks on end and, and hold up and all this and that. And I'm like, you know, I, I used, it's brand new. I used it like one day. It's like, well, maybe if you sweat in it and your sweat molecules clogged, clogged up the Gore-Tex that last time and it didn't get like washed out properly. I'm like, so you're saying for one day, if I use it for one day, it might go bunk on me. I mean, there's just no, you know, if you're charging that much money for a set of rain gear, that shit better be waterproof and like be able to stand up to just about anything you know, what it boils down to is the only reason I could justify anyone spending that much money on a set of rain gear is because it's going to be absolutely, positively, undoubtedly impervious, and it will never fail you when you need it. That's the only reason I can think of spending that much money, unless you got it just freaking coming out your ears. And, you know, because the comfort, I mean, that there's no doubt about it. That shit is way more comfortable to wear and hike in than like a Grundens or Heli Hansen. Um, but it just, you know, so, so anyway, you know, and, and, and I, it wasn't a bad experience, you know, I wasn't getting told I was an idiot or anything like that, but you know, the, the default is resort to user error because, 
you know, you did something wrong. You left because from from the perspective of a of a customer service person who's, you know, this is what they're told about the product and this is the spiel you give. You know, it's like, well, no, this stuff is our best. It's impervious. It can't fail. You you have to be lying. You have to have screwed up. But and that wasn't real. That wasn't the attitude I got. But you know, that's I'm sure that's like in the back of every every you know customer service agent's mind. Anyway, you know, and then talk to another person and and we're thinking we're thinking. And I'm explaining all this. I'm like, yeah, I mean. Well, the, you know, in theory, you know, it basically said in theory, if the wind's blowing hard enough, you know, the Gore-Tex will have a reverse effect and it'll just like suck the water right through it. I'm like, yeah, that's what the fuck I'm telling you, man. That's what happened. Um, uh, you know, and no, oh, but that would take like hurricane force winds. I'm like, I don't know what a hurricane force wind is off the top of my head. I'd look it up on my phone, but it's fucking destroyed. Um, but it was blowing freaking hard. I mean, you know. Like hardest I've seen it in 16 years of sheep hunting hard. I I wouldn't I wouldn't standing out there with my kestrel and a little barometer to see what you know what the freaking failure conditions of this rain gear was going, but it exceeded it there, and which just brings me back to so if you know that you have high enough wind, the shit's gonna fail. Like how can you even sell the stuff as like rain gear? Um, I mean it's just the the stuff that's going through my head. You know, the purpose of rain gear, at least for my hunting in Alaska, yeah, you know, there, I guess it's a t- it would be like a tiered system of importance. The Like the most important thing for me for rain gear and the kind of shit we're doing up here, you know, any of us, any of you guys out there that are listening, doing the same kind of stuff I'm doing, you know, I'm nothing special. You, there's plenty of people doing way cooler stuff than me. The primary purpose of that stuff is to keep you dry or keep water out when it, it, in a survival situation when you desperately got to stay dry and not even dry um you know you know even sweat and stuff like that that if you got you know you've got your good insulating layers and all that stuff even if you're soaking wet under that rain gear if it's keeping the water out your body heat can warm up that moisture even if you're still you know wetter than a whatever you know um even if you're still sopping wet, it's uh, and if it can keep that that fresh cold water out, your your body heat has a chance to to warm up that moisture and keep you alive. Um, so like that's the primary purpose. I mean, obviously comfort varies, and I think you know maybe what I've said before is everyone has a tr- you know does a trade off. You know, having a more comfortable rain gear to wear and hike in is more important to them than having one that will never fail when you really, really need it, you know, come, I mean, and, and comfort's a valuable thing. Is it $1,200 for a set of freaking rain gear that's going to fail you when it gets really bad? No. I mean, in my opinion, I, I think it's just absolutely like borderline criminal, but, uh, um, I guess I actually wrote some of this shit down, um, to kind of go, just to go over it on, uh, the bit what it boils down what all this boils down to you know like sick is owned by gore like gore is not going to go away from gore-tex they're not going to quit selling gore-tex just because it's bullshit um or in very very slim circumstance and that that's what all this stuff is like a lot of this stuff is quote unquote good and it is works great for a lot of circumstances but you only got a freaking diet of hypothermia one time before you're not coming back um I mean, it's just the way I'm looking at things here. Um, the biggest thing that bugs me is breathable is not waterproof. I don't care who you are. Breathable is not waterproof. None of that bullshit is waterproof. Um, and I'm probably going to say it three or four more times. But, uh, you know, all these rain jackets have 100% waterproof, 100% impermeable. It's just not freaking true. And this isn't like, again, this is not to pick on Sitka. Um Sitka, Kuyu, First Light, Cryptek, you know, any of those. I, you know, I don't care if it's Gore-Tex, Event, like some fucking coconut husk thing that's woven together in the South Pacific. Like, if it's freaking breathable, if it's not completely, Im, you know, impenetrable rubber PVC-type rain gear, it is not waterproof, and it will eventually get saturated and fail. 
you know, there's a whole spectrum of quality that, you know, some of it will fail before others, but I mean, it just blows my mind. I mean, if I'm wearing supposedly some of, some of the best, you know, quote unquote breathable or whatever rain gear on the planet and, uh, it doesn't last me a freaking hour, we have problems. Um, in my case, I was just, I was just lucky that I was able to hike out, you know, and it wasn't the, I mean, I was, I wasn't in a survival situation, but it would not have taken much for me to get there. I was getting pretty low, you know, obviously, you know, tents like your, your primary, you know, in this, whatever gear system you have, you different, have different levels of protection and different gear items that, you know, if one thing, if one thing fails and eventually something's going to go tits up on you, um, that the rest of your, you know, quote unquote system can kind of make up for it. You know, I, you know, what, what really, you know, I'll get into a little bit, you know, a good, like synthetic puffy layer. If I had, if I'd been able to find a spot to get out of the wind, you know, I probably, I, I would have been okay. I feel like at this point, but you know, on the hike out, if I had slipped and fell and hurt myself or just freaking totally ran out of gas and can't get out of the wind, I mean, you know, you hear a lot about the, you hear a lot about the rewarming drills and stuff like that. You know, you fall in the river, you get totally soaked, you know, you know, will you survive? You know, how, how is your clothing going to help you rewarm? And, you know, like, like a good synthetic layering set of clothing is, is important, but you're not rewarming shit. If water is just gushing through your rain gear, you know, it's it basic heat transfer stuff. That cold water sucks heat out of your body so fast. And if you can't stop it, you know, it does, it doesn't have, it doesn't matter how many insulating layers you have. If that cold water is just pouring through there, you know, I mean, you're wearing Heli Hansen or Grundon's Neptune or something. You got to do a March like that. Yeah. You're going to sweat your ass off. You're not going to sweat so much that you fill up your fucking boots with water and it's gushing out. You know, you're not going to have all your pockets, the inside of your pockets pooled up with water. Uh, I mean, it's just freaking retarded. I mean, sorry to use that word, but, uh, you know, I don't even know what to say, you know, and I, and I'm talking to these guys and I want to keep an open mind and like have a, have a civil discussion. And again, I'm not like trying to just throw anybody in particular under the bus, Aside from breathable rain gear is not a freaking good idea if you're wanting to do this kind of stuff. You know, most guys, you know, and, you know, maybe I'm just the lone freaking stranger out here doing this, you know, saying this. But you talk to a lot of the old timers, they won't use it. You know, guys that are very experienced, a lot of them I know won't won't use it. And there's a reason for that. And I, I wanted to give it a chance. And, you know, yeah, a storm like that or situation like that may only come along once every 15 16 years but how many times you got to freeze to death you know if i'd been if i'd have been two two days walk from the truck like sometimes i am or if i'd been on a fly out hunt i'd i could have very well been hosed i mean like there's no one coming to get you when it's that bad it's not happening you know and and the way the weather's been since there you know socked in for socked in and blowing and raining for four days after that um you know it's it it just blows my mind, you know, anyway, without talking and without, without keeping, keeping turning in circles too much longer. Um, just man, you know, if there's a takeaway, I would say I can't recommend breathable rain gear to anybody. Um, I mean, if it, for Alaska hunting, you know, anywhere in the state, I mean, I just, I just can't recommend it. You know, I, I was, oh, I've been, I was kind of dead set against it and then kind of on the fence, obviously gave it a try. And, uh, all it takes is one of those, you know, storm like that. And I, I, I can't ever trust it again. You know, that's if I, if I know it's going to fail me or have any doubt that it's not going to hold up, um, in truly extreme conditions like that, then, uh, it's not for me. And like, I mean, honestly, I would not ever spend a dime on that, on that shit, you know, a good set of Heli Hansen or Grundon's Neptune. I mean, those are the two main ones that come to mind that, that are my favorite, you know, they cost you a couple hundred bucks. You can beat the shit out of them for a couple years, go buy a new set, you know. Anyway, um, so make up your own decision, but like, I just feel like it's, uh, 
it would be irresponsible of me to go through and see what I've just seen and not not talk about it, not let people know. And as it goes down, you know, I can put more, you know, if I find out more info, um, I'm definitely happy to share it and I'm wanting to keep an open mind on it, but I will never ever use this stuff again for that kind of hunt. It's just not, not worth the risk. Um, anyway, and I guess wrapping this thing up to kind of get a little positive, um, you know, I figured I'd go over a couple little, you know, gear items and stuff like that that worked and that didn't. Cause every year you take some new shit and, find out stuff that you've been using did not work and whatnot um so yeah gear that didn't work the the msr hubba hubba i freaking dearly loved that tent um it's light especially with the extra vestibule for two guys it's freaking just dynamite um not to say that i'll never get another one i heard they did beef up the pole system that they're a lot stronger poles now um it's just you know are you willing to take that risk? And I don't know if I'm, if I'm willing to anymore. Uh, Sitka Stormfront, no hard pass. Um, one cool thing I, you know, and I've been a, obviously like a synthetic bag, of course, perfect storm on this trip. I've been a synthetic bag, um, been using the Kafaru Slick bag for years and that thing's freaking is another very valuable, you know, piece of potential survival equipment. Um, but this year I got a, uh, I tried out this whole new system. It's actually down, you know, hydrophobic down. I still don't ever want to get it wet. But uh, it's uh, Zen Bivy makes it, and it's a kind of whole bed system. They have their air mattress, and I've been using a Neo Air for a long time, and I really like that mattress, haven't blown any holes in it. But uh, this one by Zen Bivy, the actual mattress is, has, um, synthetic insulation inside the air chambers like you can actually feel it when you're holding there and it's it's not the super lightest air mattress but it's not too bad um so you have that insulated air pad and then they have a sheet that straps onto that pad and then a a backpacking quilt a down quilt and it's got all these little grommets you can just grommet it down to the sheet on your bed on the on the sleeping pad and I'm a stomach sleeper, and it was like probably some of the most comfortable backpack and sleep I've ever had. Um, it's roomy, it's super warm. Um, I didn't get any drafting through it. That's the main thing, obviously. You know, if I got these freaking strings holding my quilt down to the down to the uh, you know the the bedroll or, or air pad, you know. Uh, you know, I just have always like been, no, oh, that ain't going to work because you're going to get drafting and stuff like that. And it really, it really did. And it impressed me. And, uh, the pad, so all you have between you and the ground is that pad. And that shit was pretty freaking warm, you know, definitely warmer than my, than my Neo air. Um, so when I go back in, I'm taking my, I'm taking my, I didn't in, to be fair, I did not get that that down bag wet. I got it packed away before it ever got, but this, when I go back, I'm just going to take my slick bag, but I am going to take that, um, that Zen Bivy, um, air pad that's insulated. Cause I have in years, you know, got cold just from squishing my sleeping bag on the air pad. Um, you know, and there's not a, a heck of a lot that really stood out. Um, these the new boots I used this year, the the ones I decided to take were the Low Alpine Expert GTXs. They're a pretty technical boot, super freaking stiff. Um, they did break in a little bit more on this trip, so they're not not quite as stiff as they are. But I mean, they're full cramp on cramp on boots, but they're pretty they're pretty lightweight for how how heavy duty they're built. And I was really impressed with them. Um, I know after last year, I've been using the Loa Tibets for years and years and really like those. But I know last year down in Toke, I was just really found myself wish, you know, wanting a, a stiffer, a little bit more technical boot. And, uh, you know, these ones, these ones seem to do great. They did great on rocks. They, they held up good, um, climbing steep shale stuff. You know, I mean, you can just dig in on your toes and ride your toes up on them, um, you know, no kind of, and, and obviously fits a very personal thing, but I didn't get any blisters or anything like that from them. They were, they were super comfy. Um, coffee, I'm a freaking coffee holic. And, uh, this year I took the, uh, actually got away from the freaking, the Starbucks stuff. I took some dark timber vapor, like their mocha. That's super good. Um, their gravity packs, which are also super good. And, uh, Tioga rise, 
um, coffee, which it just comes in. I mean, it's a crystallized instant coffee comes in a little, you know, you can order them on like big packages of them, but you know, just a little brown paper foil packet. And, uh, that shit's pretty freaking good for instant coffee. Um, some of the best it's probably between that and dark timber that are my favorites. Um, my platypus bladders, you know, I've, I think I've talked about having those before, man, they don't weigh anything. And I, a lot of spots, you know, ridge running, like I was loading up with like 10 liters of water. You know, I want to have, you know, when I don't know where I'm going to get my water next and I can, I want to load up with as much as I can possibly carry or have in camp. And, uh, finally my freaking trad veins, <laughs> my rain gear, my $1,200 rain gear failed, but my trad veins held on. And when I was packing out, I, I didn't bother taking my bow apart or anything like that. I mean, I was like, swimming underneath that rain fly so i'm like i'm just going to carry my bow and i mean it was blowing so hard i had to keep my bow tucked under my arm because if i held up my hand you know down by my side a gust of wind had come out a couple times almost shot that bow out of my hand up in the air and you know would have been bye bye birdie for that thing but um you know all that wind it it, you know it'd been raining on and off throughout the trip but uh (laughs) come out of that windstorm them freaking get back home and trad veins shoot just fine not a single like lick of damage to them and uh needless to say if i had been been rocking the feather i mean i've already sold on veins but rocking the feathers uh uh, i'd be stripping my arrows and redoing them um anyway hopefully this hasn't been too freaking horrible to listen to and uh sorry for a little bit of ranting but i mean like i said it's just it's just shit that's that's got to be said you know, after an experience like this, I, I just feel obligated to let people know, at least inform people that, Hey man, I mean, I don't care what any company says to you that breathable rain gear is freaking garbage. You know, it may be, it may be great under most circumstances, but when you really need it to keep your ass alive, it's, you know, what 50, 50 that it's going to let you down. You know, mine didn't last an hour. So Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. And uh, hopefully, hopefully next episode we'll have a lot more, uh, more better stories for you. But I certainly appreciate you listening. And uh, if you do enjoy the podcast, I also appreciate that you, if you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever, whatever platform you listen on. Thank you.